A reading from Genesis chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside Jacob and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I mentioned earlier this week in the sermon preview that we've been doing some home improvement projects while we've been largely at home during this pandemic. All this time at home, or at least being adrift from our regular patterns and schedules and routines, has given us, and probably many of us, time to think. Time to notice all kinds of things that need fixing. Some of those things are huge. The systemic injustices and racism and inequities in our nation. There is no quick fix for that. It will be the work of a lifetime to undo and rebuild our ways of life. But some of the things that need fixing are smaller. Being at home might mean that you notice the dust in the corners, the fence post that's been crooked for a while, the peeling paint on the south wall of the house, the board that sticks up on the deck, the garden that you've meant to plant or possibly weed. Home improvement stores has been, have been doing a brisk business in this time while we're at home. In our house, we've been doing some painting, exterior painting, and to be fair, it's not really a we doing the painting, although I try to be as helpful as I can. My spouse has been doing the bulk of the work, which means that various painting supplies have been taken out of drawers and off shelves and put to business. And because our house is on a hill and is pretty tall in the first place, my spouse has also been spending a lot of time on a ladder. Ladders make me nervous. And I'm almost never the one on them, to be clear. I'm the one at the bottom, palms a little sweaty, watching while somebody I care about is climbing up and down, and I stand there trying not to imagine their imminent death from a catastrophic fall. What's that you say? I'm a little overly anxious about this? You are correct. 
But still, I'm not entirely wrong. Ladders can be dangerous, helpful, even life-saving in some cases, but still dangerous. So just hang on to that for a moment. Today we read the story of a biblical ladder, although scholars tell us that the image of Jacob's dream probably wasn't a ladder the way we think of them, but more of a set of stairs, similar to ancient buildings of the time. Either way, Jacob dreams of a connection between heaven and earth, a path by which messengers of God can touch the creation and touch the heavens move back and forth from one place to the other. A moment, a time, a spot in which there's no boundary between the creator and the creation, between the sacred and the secular, between the eternal and the now. On top of it, this is no ordinary moment for a dream. Jacob doesn't just lie down in a rock for a pillow because he's had a long day, which he has, or because he just feels like a nap. No, he is likely exhausted from the complete disruption of nearly everything about his life. Last Sunday, we heard about Jacob and his twin brother Esau. We heard that even in the womb, they were fighting. They were jostling for position and incapable of coexisting peacefully together. Esau is born first and Jacob second, though not by much, as Jacob is born grasping his brother's heel. To make things worse, their parents, Isaac and Rebecca, have distinct favorites among the brothers. Isaac loved Esau, the hunter, but Rebecca loved Jacob, the clever, if also fairly deceitful, younger child. It's not hard to guess that this divided family will end up with big problems, and that's exactly what happens. Eventually, Rebecca helps Jacob steal his own brother's rightful inheritance, dressing him up in animal furs so that their dying and blind father will think that the hairy Esau is asking for the blessing. Esau is so angry when he discovers what Jacob has done that he vows to kill his brother. So Rebecca tells her beloved boy to flee and go to her brother. Until your brother's anger turns away, she says, and until he forgets what you have done to him, and then I will bring you back. Why should I lose both of you in one day? And so, with those heartbreaking words from his mother, Jacob runs. He flees for his life, and he goes as far as he can, until finally, in complete exhaustion, he lays his head down on a rock and falls asleep. And it's then, in this total disruption, in a life gone awry, in the loss of his family and his home and everything he knew, it's then and there, when everything has been stripped away from him, that Jacob dreams of a ladder or a staircase or a connection between heaven and earth. And Jacob wakes up to say, 
surely God is in this place. And I didn't know it. On the one hand, I need that reminder right now. I need to hear this clear word from Jacob, this realization he comes to in the bright morning after an unsettled night. The word that even in places of disruption and loss, of anxiety and separation, of uncertainty and fear, God is there. God is in the hard stone pillow and the dusty, unforgiving ground. God is in the confusion of a family relationship gone really bad and a flight to some kind of safety. God is in the life that has been turned completely upside down and in the lonely, isolated night with no one else around for miles. God is in the hard, complicated, uncertain places, even if it takes us all night to see it. If you've ever thought that the Bible is a collection of stories about people you should try to be like, people who serve us as serve as good examples of faithfulness and ethical behavior and sound decision-making and human kindness, then Jacob is here to tell you otherwise. <laughs> if you keep, if keep, tra keep keeping track so far, Jacob has fought with his brother, cheated him more than once, lied to his father, left the whole thing in the hands of his mother, and fled the mess he created without a second glance. Now, this isn't the end of Jacob's story. Things will eventually improve, but not yet. But this is where God shows up for Jacob, the trickster, in the middle of his flight. Where God shows up for Jacob, the liar, while he has not yet repented of what he has done where God shows up for Jacob the coward, who has robbed his brother of an inheritance and his parents of a son. And God says to this messy, foolish, selfish young man, I will give to you and your offspring the land, and you and your family shall be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Remember when I said earlier that ladders were dangerous? This dream of Jacob's comes with a danger of its own. Because God shows up in this dream for Jacob and God promises him the same thing God has been promising to imperfect people for generations, a place to be and a future. But this dream also carries an edge. In it, God reminds Jacob that he's not just in this for himself. His call and his life is greater bigger than what's good for him, what's expedient for him, what will protect and benefit him. All the families of the earth will be blessed in you and your offspring, says God to Jacob. In other words, there's more to you than you, Jacob, says God. There is such beauty and hope in this story. Beauty and hope and remembering that God is in this place. That is, God is wherever we find ourselves. When our lives are disrupted, when everything we are used to falls away, when we find ourselves discouraged and frustrated, tempted to hopelessness and despair, 
When we have to flee a mess we created because we don't know what else to do. When the last shred of normalcy is gone and we have nothing left but exhaustion and the secret fear that it is never, ever, ever going to get better. Does any of this sound familiar yet? Then here is Jacob's vision to remind us. God is in this place. This place. This hard stone. This sleepless night. This uncertain road. This awful, ridiculous mess. This very life right now. God is here in this place, even when we do not know it. But next to the beauty and the hope, there is danger in the story too. Danger that it's God in this place, a God of justice and equity, of true reconciliation and repentance, a God who is not on our side or their side or anyone's side, but only and always on the side of what is good and true and life-giving for the whole creation. A God who will not leave us in the mess we have created, but who wakes us up to the work of blessing more than just ourselves. God is in this place. And to paraphrase author Anne Lamott, God loves us too much to let us stay here. Jacob names this place Bethel, which means the house of God. It's a grand and beautiful name for a hard, anonymous stone by the side of a road, but there it is, the altar, to remind us of how God shows up no matter where we lay our heads. So yes, surely God is in this place, your place, wherever you are right now, even if you did not know it. And surely the God of this place, your place, still has work for us to do. So let's wake up and get started. Amen.